give me a hell yeah. I said, give me a hell yeah. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John LaRocca, as always, by my side. What's going on, John? Not much, man. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, Just want to slightly apologize to folks. We are a day later than usual, but we are both due to uh, have families and life gets in the way. And sometimes we can't get caught up on everything we need to get caught up on. So we need an extra day. Yeah, there's a lot to cover tonight. Oh my god, so much stuff. So, uh, before we actually get started, uh, just want to send a shout out to the new folks who are listening. We appreciate it. You know, John and I do this. uh, It's originally, you know, it still is very much a passion project, but it's kind of cool to see, you know, listeners, uh, new listeners come in and, and those... Uh, streams go up and so welcome to everybody who's who's sort of new here and we hope that uh, we hope that you stick around um, and so the other thing I wanted to talk about before we really dig in is uh, Big Dave and I did an interview with Robert Fuller on uh, Wrestling Observer uh, Radio and if you don't have a subscription I totally get it you know it's 10 bucks or 11 bucks or whatever it is you know it's, that's money but if you do and you are a wrestling fan who is either A, a historian, or B, someone who wants to learn more about wrestling. Like, this this podcast really fascinated me, and, I mean, I didn't really have a lot to bring to the table. It's not something that I'm... It's not an era that I know a lot about, and I, you know, I asked a couple questions, but um, the era of, like, the mid to late 70s, like, just fascinates me, because I don't know anything, and the business is so different uh, but Robert Fuller talked a lot about that stuff. And uh, for those who, who don't really know who he is, um, you would probably know, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ron Fuller, not Robert Fuller. Robert Fuller is his brother, uh, who who's Colonel Rob Parker from WCW. Um, but Ron Fuller is, is who we interviewed. And uh, he, he was, it was just fascinating. Like, you know, here's a guy who was like six foot nine, uh, you know, good physique, could talk really well, and still can talk. Like, he didn't miss a beat in the interview that we did. And uh, and then just becomes a promoter. And just, like, is not even really a top a top wrestler, just promoting and promotes all the way into, like, the, the late 80s with Continental and decides to get out, you know, right at the at the right time because, obviously, Vince is, is uh, you know, he, he's taken over the, the business. So it was really fascinating. So if you if you have an opportunity to check it out i would say check it out it's a, it's really good stuff if you're a fan of that time period do you did you did we talk about that plan b video that had come out several weeks ago the plan b video no okay so this video is um it is uh let me let, i want i want to make sure i have the right uh I want to make sure I have the right people in this video. So the Plan B video is um, it is uh, Boris Malenko, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, 
uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, and um, gosh, there's a couple other guys here. Uh, Bob Roop. I think he. I think Bob Roop was like the the ringleader of the video, and basically, they were. I think they were on the other side of uh, of Ron Fuller's group, and they tried to create uh, a group to go against Ron Fuller. And because as sort of like the last straw, they decided to record this video, and they called it Plan B, and it was an expose on the business. And Bob Root basically goes on and says, like, look, you know, here's how it works. You know, you got a promoter, you got a top star. These guys are pushed. They're not really, you know, they're not really the best guys. Uh, there's no <laughs> there's no union. So, you know, the, the wrestling industry is a billion dollar industry. And, you know, the wrestlers only make X amount like he was just trying to expose the business. And so when we asked Ron Fuller about this, he was like, yeah, I knew about it. Well, actually, I don't actually I don't know if he knew about it, but he did watch the video and he was just like gobsmacked like. But that was what they were doing back then is they were trying to um, go to the newspapers and stuff to basically say that Fuller's group was like fake and they were real and stuff. So if you if you um, if you haven't just go on in Google and type like plan B wrestling and you'll see this like, gosh, I think it's like 15 minutes or something. And you have all these guys, the guys that I just named, and they're basically exposing the business. And I think the idea was to get it on television, and there was supposed to be like three or four parts, and the television studio didn't run it, thankfully, uh, because you know I think it would have been really hurtful for those guys who were in the video, especially. I mean, because you have like a Cowboy Bob Orton from like 1979. So like... this is uh, Poffo's group. This is uh, Angelo Poffo's group. This is ICW. Randy Savage is group. So I so you might be right, but the um, the the folks. So Savage specifically is not in it. Poffo's not in it. His dad's not in it. It's Roop, Boris Malenko, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, Cowboy Bob Orton, and there might be one guy that I'm forgetting. But it was specifically like just those guys. And Roop is the like I said, Roop is the ringleader, and. Um, you know, it's like the Knoxville wrestling war or yeah. whatever. So, so I mean, you might be right about that, but I, but those were the folks. Like, I didn't see that they didn't mention. I don't think they mentioned Savage or any of those guys in it. But yeah, it was. It's pretty crazy, and you know, just well, you know, that's what the Savage and them were doing with Memphis too. They were talking trash on their show about Lawler, Dundee, Jarrett, stuff like that, and then they end up, you know started going out of business so they end up cutting a deal with jerry jarrett and that's when pop uh you know savage worked with lawler and, and they had a program between those guys too eventually so yeah and and uh, big dave said that somehow san francisco got the icw tv so he was actually able to see a lot of that stuff that they were doing i don't know why they got the tv but it's not yeah, like it's, pretty, they, it's not like they ran over here or anything it's a pretty bad tv too it's not the best you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of that, that footage, and it's not the kind of the weakest of the territory footage back then. I mean, not, of course, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, you're, there wasn't this really big high production. It's basically a studio and small crowd and wrestling matches. I mean, I like it, but like, you know, probably newer fans today be like, oh, this is garbage. You know, they're not going to watch it. Yeah. You know, they need their big production stuff. So, but. And so. 
the uh, the other thing that he talks about a lot is is the Battle of Atlanta, which which um, mm-hmm. you know Anne Gunkel and and the NWA and all that. So that you know that stuff is all is all interesting. But yeah, and that that whole era, I just I'm just like I I probably need to listen to to Ron's uh, studcast because that era just fascinates me. But um, okay, so so that was that, and then I, I was also on uh, John Pollock's uh, review of Raw for PostWrestling.com. Waiting, his his partner was out of town on uh, I think he's on vacation for his birthday or something. So John had reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do the show with him, and I and I I was just happy that you know he wanted to do it with me. So uh, that was a lot of fun. So you can go to Post Wrestling if you if you uh, want to check that out the review of raw i think it's a free show so you don't have to like that's not subscription based um okay the only other thing i want to kind of make people aware about is uh i have uh my guys at fightgamemedia.com doing in alan 4l and uh, cadillac don and also i've reached out to a bunch of guys in our facebook group who i've known just from the from over the years and uh, we're putting together a greatest 35 matches in the history of WrestleMania list. Uh, and we're putting that on the website starting the week of WrestleMania. So the week that you and I are actually going to be in New York, these, uh, these, uh, these posts will be, will be posted to the website. And they're really fun, sort of like water cooler for wrestling fans kind of stuff because you're sitting there going like, well, Savage and Steamboat, how did that come eighth? Or, you know, and Savage and Flair, why is that tenth? And it's just like these fun conversations based on the opinions of, of hardcore wrestling fans and basically WrestleMania historians in a sense because there are a few of us who like really just dig the idea of WrestleMania. So we'll have those posts up the week prior to WrestleMania. Probably have about five of them up there and split up the 35 matches but uh, that's gonna be fun it's a lot of work for me to do because i'm just tabulating everything and then and then getting those out but so that's gonna be up and then uh and then yeah so you and i are actually going to be in new york in uh in two weeks um and so we'll figure out what happens next week we'll do our regular show the following week is when we're going to be in new york and we'll sort of have to figure out uh, how we can record and you know maybe we'll actually be able to do a little bit more stuff uh, based on if we have any time but yeah we'll, we'll figure that out I think we'll, we'll at least have a, a normal show and maybe we'll have um, uh, a post game or something of one of the shows that we actually go to if, if, if our if our entire crew is uh, is not too tired because it's going to be a crazy crazy week it's going to be wild and i wonder if everyone getting sleep that week (laughs) (laughs) i know totally okay so uh let's just get into it i know that was a long beginning of the show but i just wanted to kind of get those things out um i think the first thing we should talk about and we can talk we can actually talk about this quickly which is uh what did you think about the espn and ufc deal where you can no longer just go to your cable box and dial up the whatever the HD pay-per-view uh, uh, number is and buy a UFC show. I think it's very interesting. Uh, I kept thinking about what about the, the older fan that is not into this whole streaming thing, still hasn't really got it. Um, 
Like, I have a coworker who just complains and complains <laughs> about everything beyond these damn streaming. Now I got to get this. Mm-hmm. Now I got to get that. Now I get ESPN Plus. And, and so I don't even think he knows the news about the ESPN Plus and the USC pay-per-view. So I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't even talked to him about it because we've been so busy. But wait till he wants to order a pay-per-view and check out a fight. <laughs> and he's going to realize he said, now he has to download. Now he has to order or sign up for the ESPN Plus app, and then you know get the pay per view. But I I think it's you know this evolving thing. You know the streamings is now starting to kick in, and and people are now more and more streaming stuff, and people will find it. They want to see it, but yeah, it's very interesting. I, I kind of wish it was you know like WWE's network where like you get the pay per views too because. I'm already signed up for ESPN Plus, you yeah, know. So, yeah. But unfortunately, that's not the case. But uh, I hope that something happens in the future when it comes to like certain events are free for certain subscribers or something like that. You know. Well, they they can certainly be creative. They don't have to go by the old tried and true method of uh, Directv or in demand pay per view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I you know I hope they're a little bit creative. Like for instance, like if there is a um you know maybe for the connor donald cerrone or connor nate diaz match maybe they go you know what we actually think we can sell that thing for a hundred bucks but guess what rose nama yunus you get it for 29.99 you know stuff like that that they may be able to they may not because you know they they but i think I think though they're going to be able to be creative, uh, but I agree with you. You know, I we we talk about this all the time. You know, I look at it as, how's my dad going to watch this stuff? And he would just be like, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> you know, he would yeah. even, he would just give up. And then it'd be like, if I come over there, he's like, oh, you know, can you help me set this up? And I'm like, okay, well, but here's how you have to do it. And this is you got to sign in, you got to do this. And he's like, ah, I'm out. And so. How does this okay now now most of the time when you're watching uh, at least the pay-per-views you're watching it you know we all get together and, and and watch it at Big Dave's house but if you were to you know just dial up a show by yourself you know you know how to use you know how to use the ESPN app on on yeah. your Apple TV so it's pretty easy for you but it is different right like I, I wonder how you know, is it the same sort of like appointment TV? Like, oh, you know, it's just UFC pay per view. I'm really excited. Or does it become this like casual thing where you're like, eh, I'm, I'm. It, it just feels. It doesn't feel like it's as special anymore. Like, I wonder if if anyone thinks of it that way. That's true. I didn't think about it that way. Like, would it will it be just become like just a? Uh, I can skip it. I don't need to watch it. But that, actually, for me though, personally, like we've talked about this before on some of our past shows that for me right now my MA fandom is kind of down so I skip more than I'm like I have to see it you know I think I mostly want to see it just to hang out with the guys mm-hmm. at the most part but that's like, I mean that's half the fun of it yeah so like I mean but not it wasn't like when it was like what 2008 or 2007 when I was like oh man was that I can't wait for that pay-per-view you know I can't wait for this fight and, you know thinking about it a lot now i just kind of just see a fight okay okay let's get it cool or i can skip or maybe i'll watch that one and but uh yeah i wonder how the how the people are going to react now is it that special i think the positive it is that espn is 
100 they're so invested now like you'll see a lot more promotion of um ufc of course on espn and i think the fights in some ways might feel a little bigger to the casual audience who kind of tunes in for espn for their sports news so maybe that will drive up business i'm, I'm sure it will i'm sure definitely certain fights will add a little more interest just because of that just because espn's behind it and... yeah yeah totally and what did you think about the news that came out from DAZN today, which is from here on out for new subscribers, it's going to be $19.99 versus the $9.99. And they've basically figured out that they have two types of customers. One customer is like myself, who is pretty much in it for the entire month or the entire year. I'm just I'm just letting it renew. I'll use it when I use it, but I'm a consistent customer month over month and they've also realized that they have another customer which is when there is a fight like a big fight like let's say canelo and rocky fielding from you know a couple months ago they will buy it for the month just because they want to see that fight and then they will cancel and not go to the next month so they're basically treating it like pay-per-view in a sense right it's like a 9.99 pay-per-view for them so they decided to take advantage of those customers who treat it like a $9.99 pay-per-view, they are going to charge 20 bucks. But that also hurts the consistent customer like myself because I will eventually have to pay the $20 a month. Um, but they are grandfathering me in for a full year, so I'll get the $9.99 for a full year. Now, I had this question earlier today from... Uh, my guy Russ, who is uh, who I met on Twitter, and I think is is one of my friend uh, is a uh, Carla uh, Carla's uh, uh, buddy, uh, you know Stitch Duran. Everyone knows Stitch Duran. His daughter Carla is like a really really big MMA and, and boxing and wrestling fan. She's so smart, and so she introduced me to him, and and I go back and forth with him on stuff on Twitter. But he was like, you know, why don't why wouldn't you just buy the ninety nine dollars a year? Uh, which is also an offer from DAZN. And I was like, well, I want to be in control of my subscription. And if you buy it for a year, you're essentially not in control. But if I pay $9.99, I'm paying an extra 20 bucks for the ability to cancel if they start screwing with my stuff, you know? And so the, the, I think, you know, the, but for those who, you know, can just pay that 100 and get out of there, I think I think that's good that they'll be they'll be fine but eventually you're going to have to pay the piper which is you know 1999 uh, a month so I think uh, I think it's going to be it, what it tells me basically is that they don't have enough consistent subscribers like myself to carry this thing and and they have to f- figure out other ways to to make up all those millions and millions of dollars they're spending for Canelo and for Triple G and for Anthony Joshua and for Bellator uh, so yeah, interesting, interesting times in the streaming so, game. The box is the boxing like the big fights are going to be like UFC where they charge. No, just more. twenty bucks, just twenty bucks. So it's just it's just better to just do that. I think you know unless they can guarantee that each month there's a big boxing fight that's going to drop make you know that you're like okay I don't need to like pick and choose which months I'm going to buy per per whatever fight they're offering like if it's consistent with every month then you can just kind of keep that 20 bucks going right 
Yeah, totally. But so that's that's pretty cool, though. I mean, I, I mean, got twenty bucks for a Canelo fight is pretty good, pretty damn good deal. So here's the thing, right? And and I'm sure that you and I have talked about this on this show, which is the idea of a monthly hook. WWE doesn't have to do a pay per view every month, except for the fact that that is their monthly hook for subscribers because Mm -hmm. subscribers can look at all the content and they can look at the photo shoot and they can look at these 24 documentaries and WrestleMania 365 and all that stuff, right? But at the end of the day, the thing that keeps people coming back and saying, you know what, WWE uh, WWE Network is a good value is the fact that you get a pay-per-view every month on you know on your subscription so if you think about pay-per-view as sixty dollars worth of value for 9.99 you go okay like i'll stick with my subscription because at least i'm getting a pay-per-view every month DAZN doesn't have that monthly hook and i mean they try like it's 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 a hardcore boxing fan that like in the u.s i'm not talking about in the other uh, in the other t- uh, geographical areas but in the U.S., it's literally a hardcore boxing fan app because you get Eddie Hearn stuff, you get De La Hoya stuff, you get um, you know eventually you're gonna get Golovkin stuff, which who knows what that's gonna be. But you're getting like you know pretty much weekly or every other week boxing, but you're not getting big big fights. You're getting fights from guys that. They're trying to create stars with these guys, and they're giving them the platform. But previously, where you would see these kind of cards is like on Showbox or like HBO After Dark, right? Like they're on much smaller cards, and DAZN is selling those fights as like, you can watch these cards weekly, which is great, again, for hardcore boxing fans. But when you're trying to get a more casual audience, they only care about Joshua Canelo, Golovkin, and you can't put those guys every month to hook in the the you know the the viewer for that monthly hook. Now, how does Bellator um, and any other promotion? And I think this is where uh, pro wrestling comes into play, because if you can add pro wrestling and you can you can work with the promoters and go like, okay, I know we want Canelo in um, May, but who do we got for June? And it's like, oh. We're going to put Golovkin's first fight on DAZN in June. And then what do we got for August? Oh, well, you know, we're going to come back with Joshua in August. That's not going to happen because he's he's going to – I think he's actually fighting in in, uh, in June or July. But, you know, you know that that's kind of how I think they should do it is to try to give you, uh, you know, a, a monthly hook every, t- every, every month. But yeah. that's really hard when you don't have – all the guys to spread out, you know, from a breadth uh, standpoint. You don't have, there's not enough guys. And, and, you know, you have other guys who are lower level stars who you're trying to promote to big time, but those hooks are the Joshua's, Golovkin's, and Canelo's that you, they, they're only fighting twice a year at most. Yeah, I think you can get like a, a pro wrestling company that's, you know, like an AEW or something like that starting up, right? Cut a deal with them, and maybe that could be a hook for some wrestling fans that go in for $19.99, you know, a month or something like that. So it's interesting. To, it's definitely it's a fascinating time with this whole streaming service, and I had no problem with it personally, but 
like I think of my coworker Tim. Like, <laughs> what's he gonna do? Because he he I know he just loves watching the fights and and uh, he was act actually at the uh, Oak Ridge Mall to watch the um, Spence and Garcia fight. Yeah, and you know like yeah he'll do that and see if that's still available he'll do that but like I just can't see him like wanting to just put all these streaming services and. I mean, he's a hotspot for his Wi-Fi at home. That's how old he is. So, <laughs> so but I mean, there's a lot of people like that. You know, there's a, t- a lot of people like that. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'll give my thoughts on Spence uh, in a second, but before before we get there, um, we 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 can go through this pretty quickly because it's actually you know over a week old now, which is the Observer Awards, which came out the day after we uh, recorded our last show, and the Wrestling Observer Awards. You know, I look at the Observer Awards as like if you were to go back and read like the 2007 Observer Awards, you kind of just read through the awards and go, okay, I understand what that year was about. And so it's really like a great way to remember the year and from a historical context. And so the thing I wanted to ask you about the Observer Awards is I know when it came to the Luthez Ric Flair Award, which is Wrestler of the Year, you voted Tanahashi. And Kenny Omega won. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on, A, Kenny Omega winning, but also why you voted Tanahashi over Omega. I think Tanahashi just had a better year when it came to match quality. And, you know, all in all, I think, you know, you know, Omega had some really good matches, really great matches. That You know, of course, that match with Okada, the two out of three falls was just amazing. But I think, like, for drama and interest, like, the stuff with Tanahashi and G1 and leading to all that and, you know, his quest to go back top, I just thought he, just to, for me, captured, you know, the, the most interest for me. So I, that's why I voted for him. And plus, he had great matches all through G1 and, and his match with Kota Bushi was fantastic. Match with Okada was great. And uh, he just, you know, he had a great year. I would have voted for Omega, but Tanahashi would have definitely been my second choice. And I actually agree with the top three, which is Omega, Tanahashi, and Okada. And I guess what it says is last year was really New Japan's year because I think there was, you know, there's always really good stuff in WWE every year, uh, but specifically when it came to like the shows that i was most excited about um i feel like the g1 the tokyo dome show and the um the the dominion show i feel like i was most excited for those shows and it was because we knew based on those main events and based on those up and down those cards like you were gonna get a match that was probably going to be one of the better matches that you saw all year. And what happens is WWE is a little bit different in that WWE is about the hype and about the uh, the production and about uh, it's less about match of the year and it's more about the spectacle of the year. And so it's just a different taste, right? Like I grew up watching WWE and I still love it today. But when but when you know some of those matches, you're like, wow, like you know Omega versus Okada. Uh, Tanahashi versus Ibushi like you just sensed that they were going to go above and beyond the Call of Duty and then on the flip side when you get AJ Styles and Kevin Owens you're like wow this could be really good 
And then it's what it is is it's a setup for the next angle. So I I feel like um, it was New Japan's year, but I also understand why people would be a little bit upset that New Japan did so well in these awards because they were raised on a WWE product again, which is more about spectacle and more about the next show than necessarily about the climax of a specific angle or a specific beef that ends in this great, great match. Yeah, I think uh, it was interesting to see feedback. It's funny, like, you know, people will be quick to bash Dave and say certain things, but when it comes to, like, them being voted in a category or winning a category, <laughs> they're, they're, like, honored and stuff. So it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, I also found it interesting when I was seeing the feedback of the awards. Like, there's the snobby, like, Japanese wrestling fans. Like, you know, I voted for this guy who's not in New Japan. Duh, 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 duh. You know, it's like, yeah, these people are just hilarious. But uh, it, it's, I mean, when it comes to New Japan and WWE and people being upset, like, New Japan kind of clean house this year. But they're deserving so, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they had definitely had the better year. Just, there's no doubt about it. Better in-ring product, better uh, build to the big matches, better big match feel throughout the year. WWE really didn't build that big matchup. I mean, there's some matches that we got excited for, but nothing like, oh, man, you know, that just feels like something big that we have to watch and have to see. I mean, there's some interest and some curiosity, but in, in a, a lot of times in 2000, um, 2018, like WWE kind of just kind of like didn't come through with a lot. And I hope that changes this year. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. And, you know, WrestleMania, which we're going to talk about in a second here, is like 16 matches long at this point and probably uh, maybe one or two more. So, you know, they have an opportunity to really give us like that great, great match. But uh, for whatever reason, like you're going to get really good matches on WWE, uh, WWE's big shows like Remember, like, we're watching WrestleMania 34, and the first half of that show, we get Charlotte Nausicaa, and then we get Ronda and Kurt against Triple H and Stephanie, which is kind of like the perfect blend of spectacle and fan service in a match. But then the second half of that show, we were just, like, dying. So it's, you know, it's definitely a mix, but I feel like there are some shows that they do really well at sort of figuring out the pacing and all that. And then there are some, like, you know, WrestleMania 33 and 34 were, bo- were both victims of this, which is you start hot and then you have these long matches to end the show and we're just sitting there on the couch sweating and dying. Like, when is the show going to end? Yeah, I think for WWE, like, when it came to NXT, they were just behind New Japan, you know, when it came to a good year. They had to, you know, of course, NXT... The takeover matches, you know, always come through and and are really good. I actually thought um, an award that I thought was, I think, I was kind of shocked that they didn't win, and it seemed like you know it was the uh, the undisputed era for tag team of the year. I thought they should have won that. So the Young Bucks, I think people just, you know, Young Bucks had a good year. They're you know they're they're a good team, but I think when it comes to in ring and outperforming is just, I think undisputed year had undisputed era had a tremendous year of great matches. Yeah. That's an interesting one because I think what happens is, is the young bucks, they're sort of cemented, 
Because if you think about tag team wrestling, they are the team that you automatically think of. And if you are like thinking deeply about the ward and you're going down the list, like I didn't think Omega and Ibushi should have been number two at all. They only tagged like maybe like four or five times all year long. But in those four or five matches, you're like, oh yeah, that match was great. Oh yeah, that match was great. That match was great. And so I can see why they, they did so well. But I would have definitely had O'Reilly and Rod- Roderick Strong at least second, and not Omega Nabushi. Uh, Pentagon and Phoenix as well. You know they're you know they they are they've been tagging and you know throughout everywhere, right? Like if you if you are in a in a halfway decent city, you probably saw those guys come <laughs> through. Like they're working all over the place. But um, but yeah, you know I mean I think I think a lot of it is just the Bucks are just synonymous with tag team wrestling at this point, and even in a year where I thought I thought they I thought they were had some really good matches. Um, I also thought that you know they were sort of going to raise the stakes from the uh, in the New Japan Tag Team Division, but you know they weren't working with the best teams either. Like you know the New Japan's Tag Team Division has a few teams that are kind of like the stalwarts of that division, and that's not like a work rate division. Uh, and they, they would have probably been better off staying in the junior tag side because the matches would have been a little bit better. But I still thought they had a good year, and I, and I totally get it. Now, that, that, that is also somewhat based on popularity. And, you know, it's like how many times did the Midnight Express win that award, you know? And I'm sure you could have made arguments in one or two of those years. You're like, ah, they probably won that award mostly on name and not necessarily on the year that they had. I talked bet negatively about the Minette Express and John is speechless. It wasn't meant, it wasn't meant to be negative. I'm just meaning that they were so great that you they were like a shoe in for for it's, the award. Yeah, in some yeah years. I know a lot of people just like oh they're automatically gonna vote you know for the for certain people like they're the best. But I think if you really looked at undisputed errors year, I mean those matches are f- freaking good. I mean those matches with Tyler Bate and. Uh, Trent Seven, those are, I think, those are some of the best tag team matches all year round. You know, and that's, that's why I was kind of shocked they didn't win. I thought that for sure, that was kind of a lot. That, I mean, because I think most people that vote for those awards are watch NXT as well. But yeah. well, the other thing is that you didn't like you didn't like the match uh, at uh, Long Beach that a lot of no, people really like. No. That's also the reason. Yeah, definitely the most overrated match of the year, in my opinion. I thought. When it was over, yeah, I just didn't think it was that good. I thought I didn't like the story, and you know, I know Big Dave loved it, but like, I was just like, mm, wasn't feeling that one. Okay, and I, and we'll, this will be the last thing, and then we'll move on. But I have to ask you about this one because I was like defending. I almost felt bad in defending my point of view on this because I didn't want to make my point of view like more important than anybody's point of view, but. Becky Lynch as women's wrestling MVP over Ronda Rousey. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was that was a shocker. Uh, Ronda definitely should have won that this year. I would, you know, she, you know, she, she did great this year. She had a tremendous year. Becky came up for sure. I mean, she made herself into the main eventer out of on her own out of nowhere, and you know, WWE got behind her with it. But, you know, for the whole year, I mean, Ronda is probably the most important of the women, and she still is. Yeah, I agree. And and I I think sometimes when I do Wrestling Observer Radio, I think I come off a little bit 
more pro Rhonda than people <laughs> like. But it's just because I think she's, you know, I think she's so good at, at her role. And it's not a disservice to Becky because Becky is also really good at her role. Um, but I kind of had to, I felt a little bit like I had to defend my point of view. And when this award came up, uh, I basically did, I mean, I just did research. I was like, okay, here's where Becky was for all the main shows for WWE. And here's where Ronda was for all the main shows of WWE. Ronda was clearly... Uh, even in not wrestling at Royal Rumble, she was clearly more important than Becky, who actually had a really good Royal Rumble match. I think she got like 30 minutes in. Um, and then Ronda was also a bigger part of the next show because she and Triple H had the had the, had the, the contract signing. And Becky was, I don't even know if Becky was on that show, but I basically, I basically just researched and was like, Becky had a fantastic August, September through the end of the year. And, and, you and I were at the match in December where she was clearly the biggest star on the roster when it came to that uh, that triple threat ladder match with Asuka and Charlotte. Like, the fans saw Becky as the biggest star on, on in the entire company. So that is credit to Becky. But it was just in that in those, like, three or four months, whereas Ronda was sort of the whole year. Yeah, that's, that's right. I agree 100%. Ever since she showed up in WWE and this year, I mean, she in this past year, she... Definitely the most important. I'm surprised she didn't. I'm surprised she didn't win that. Not that surprised a lot of people didn't vote for her. So moving on to a little bit of boxing, uh, I went to see. You know, I should have hung out with your buddy at, at who went who saw Spence and Garcia. Um, I went to the I went to the movie theater to watch it, and it was a one sided, very one sided victory for Errol Spence against the much smaller Mikey Garcia. I guess I shouldn't say much smaller because they're only really two weight divisions apart. But uh, I, I it just was a a very talented guy from two divisions up beating a very talented guy from two divisions below. And the and the bigger guy was way more athletic, which is uh, which is you know, kind of the deal. And uh, it was a fun fight, but it was just like uh, you're just waiting for Mikey to be able to do something. He couldn't really do anything all fight long. Now the other boxing news that w- is kind of out there is that Deontay Wilder had an opportunity to sign with DAZN for a guaranteed over a hundred over a hundred million dollars in guarantees for either three or four fights we're not exactly sure what that number is i think there were actually two deals he could have done three or four fights for guaranteed 100 million 120 million whatever that number was and he turned it down and instead signed a one fight deal to continue with under the premier boxing champions banner to defend his title against dominic brazil and it was just I just couldn't believe the fact that someone would turn down a guaranteed a hundred million dollars to stay with uh, a promotion that uh, you know is, is doing okay but there's not guys for him to fight in that promotion and I, I just I'm not exactly sure what the game plan is for for Deontay Wilder because he is at the the height right now of his popularity and he has a chance to make a fight that will put him in in uh, more households than ever and they're delaying it because i i'm i mean because they want the the 
the majority share of the pie, which I don't think they deserve, and uh, and I think we're gonna have a stalemate here, unless uh, Wilder decides that his his and his kids' future is uh, better than his or is more important than his promoter's uh, future. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that at all, but I was just I think it's just something that we're gonna have to keep an eye on for uh, for the rest of the year here. Yeah, I would like to know what his game plan is. Like, you're gonna turn down a hundred guaranteed, a hundred. Maybe he's maybe he's not confident in the zone. Maybe he thinks it's you know like they're like they're gonna renege renege on the money or something. Yeah, maybe so. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe he's just holding out for a little more. Maybe he wants two hundred million. You know, I don't know. Maybe he's gonna or he wants four hundred twenty-six million for twelve years. Like. <laughs> <Mike Trout. laughs> Yeah, man. Grow grew up to be a baseball player. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so let's talk about the New Japan Cup a little bit. You know, we're in the final four. I was caught up with every day until today. I didn't get to see today's show, which was uh, Tanahashi um, and uh, and Zack Saber Jr. and also um, Sonata against Colt Cabana. Tanahashi. So the final four is going to be. Uh, Tanahashi and Sonata, and on the other side, it's going to be Okada and Ishii. And I think a lot of people thought, you know, us included, that Kota was going to do very well in this tournament, but instead, it's either going to be Tanahashi or Sonata. What do you, uh, what do you think, what what does that say? What does that tell you? Do you think that they're going to go Tanahashi, Okada again, or are we looking at, you know, Sonata getting, getting a little bit of a push here to be in the finals of this tournament? Ah, oh, man, uh, and this one has me guessing because, to me, the ultimate prize is the title shot at Jay White, but at Magic Square Garden, right, this huge show that's coming up in a couple of weeks that you and I will be live in attendance for. And do you go with Sonata versus an Okada? But do people think the finals, you know, will people think Sonata is going to be Okada? You know, I don't know if they can... I don't know. I, I think you want a little bit of mystery. That's why I was thinking they might go with just... But I, I would like to see... Oh, man. This is, a, this is a tough one because... I just think it might be too predictable if it's Okada and Sonata. I just feel like Okada will beat Sonata. And that's okay because I, I, I still think Okada's going to, you know, be in that match at MSG. I don't think a guy like Sonata's going to be in that match. You know, not yet, at least not this year. Um, it's very tough, but I'm I'm pretty pumped to see Tanahashi and Sonata. That's going to be a hell of a match, and Sonata's been having a hell of a tournament. I mean, he's had this, he's had my favorite match of the tournament so far. Him and uh, Minoru Suzuki, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, that was a really good match. I, I, the thing that was now. You know, we always talk about submissions, and we watch UFC, so we know how submissions work. And they, they were hanging out in submissions forever in that match. But I really, I really like that match too. Um, I, I would love to see Sonata and Okada because I think I think this is the way you get Sonata up with the AA guys. You know, the top top guys. But it does make the winner predictable because there's no way that Sonata beats Okada there's just no way and so I think um I mean there's a way <laughs> they could definitely put him over but could, could, could you imagine like 
I don't. I can't see them going with Sonata and Jay White as the main event of Master Garden. I mean, I just think you have to put either Okada in that position or Tanahashi in that position or Okada. But there's you know he's not or you know but he's not in of course. But like you know that's that type of guy. You know, um, I just can't see them doing this with Sonata. But you know, Gato's done some things that you know which which I like. Is yeah. that he would take chances. But this is a chance I wouldn't take, you know. Well, it, show. yeah, exactly. If the match was like a show, a random show on New Japan World, it, it, you know, you could put that as a title match. But because it's the ROH now again, but the ROH show sold out, so it's yeah. not like you need to sell tickets. But it's just such a big show for them, and it seems like one of the possible outcomes is for Okada to win that championship in front of that crowd. And I'm sort of hoping that only because I'm selfish and I want to see it and I want to see a New Japan uh, title title change, you know, because when are we ever going to see that live in our lifetime, right? Unless we go to the Tokyo Dome or something. Um, so, yeah, like I think uh, that, uh, yeah, in a sense, I think you need to save Okada and Tanahashi and I would just go with Sonata because... I think it's going to be a really excellent match, but I don't know, you know, the way that Okada just kind of, I'm not saying sleepwalk, but he, he did not have the crazy, insane match with Will Ospreay that I think a lot of people expected. It was a good match, but it wasn't, you know, you could sort of tell, like, the story wasn't that Ospreay was on Okada's level, it was... You know, Osprey's close, but he's no Okada, and so Okada, you know, had a just a, a good match with a with a young guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I the, the, it has me intrigued, and I'm very much looking forward to the final four of the New Japan Cup, and then obviously the final two, and and then you and I and Dave Dutra and Dave and uh, Rubio will be out there in Madison Square Garden, and that'll be the first. You know, I always figured the first time I was going to be in the Garden was either going to be New York Knicks game or a WWE show, and instead it's ROH and uh, New Japan together for a WrestleMania weekend show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, my, my, my gut feeling is that Sonata's going to be Tanahashi. He's going to wrestle Okada. Okada's going to win and go on to, you know, either defeat Jay White. I would think he's going to, I would think they want a big title change at Master Garden. I would think they want that for their history and. You know, highlights going forward, you know, and stuff like that. So, I think, I think that's going to play out. But you know, I was, you know, if I was them, I would have just held off Jay White winning the New Japan title till after Master Garden, and have him maybe win it before G One or something like that. Well, who knows what they have planned? But I don't know. I was just thinking like Jay White. You know, he's been really good. Is, you know, as as champion so far in a short time, I think he's been he's been really good. Yeah. Um, I I just think they should, I really I think they should have headlined with Okada Tanahashi. You know that historic rivalry should have been should have been in that historic arena as well. You know, but yeah, no, I mean, I I I agree. It would have been it would have been that much more special, but you know they're they're building toward the future knowing that you know they could they could always go back to that match at some point and jay white is not japanese so there's also that angle there 
but um yeah no so we'll we'll see what happens and you know this weekend i think uh, we will find it we will get the winner and we'll sort of f- oh, and and hopefully they'll lay out the rest of that card like it's still we still don't know all the matches yet yeah i hope tanahashi's in the big match you know first who would you like to see him Maybe it's a rematch with Sonata who beats him at uh, in the cup, you know, who, something who, like that. Who's or, a, who, or, does a, who does Ibushi? Who does Ibushi work on that show? Well, he beat Naito, so there's a chance that he could challenge for the Intercontinental title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Yeah, so there's that. Um, Tanahashi beats Sex Saber, so there's not gonna be that. Yeah, Tanahashi and Tanahashi and Sonata would be great, or Tanahashi and Minoru Suzuki would be great. You know, Minoru Suzuki is going to be in WrestleMania week because he's on the main event of the Josh Barnett Bloodsport Show versus Josh Barnett, which we'll be going to as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just well, was like, I just hope Tanahashi's not just some random tag match again. He's going to be an eight, he's going to be an eight man tag, an eight man tag or something like that. I, I'll be pretty bummed because, you know, I saw Tanahashi's singles match was against Billy Gunn. And nothing against Billy Gunn. It's just you know. Wait, like, wait, wait, wait! Now you're telling me we're gonna get Tanahashi and Colt Cabana. We could. It might we happen. Could. Or someone in ROH. Who would he be wrestling in ROH? That would be of any interest. Um. That's no a one good really. Point. Yeah, and and you know, because Jeff Cobb and Will Osprey are are wrestling each other, so mm-hmm. Tanahashi can't wrestle either of those guys. Um. Yeah. No. I mean. Well, well. Well. I think we'll probably see this weekend because the New Japan Cup will be done, and then they'll be able to set the set up the matches for for that show. So. Um. All right. So let's actually dig into our road to WrestleMania. Not a lot of stuff really happened this week that we need to update people on. Um. The Ronda Becky Charlotte angle is kind of in a standstill because we already know the matches. Becky's in the match. Charlotte's in the match. Ronda's in the match. Becky is not really limping anymore, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, but Ronda uh, brought her husband, Travis Brown, into the, whole, into the whole spiel. And Travis got involved after Ronda beat uh, Dana Brooke very quickly. She... Uh, you know, she had she they, they had the security go after her and she was fighting the security and then her husband pulled her into the into the audience so that they could they could get out of dodge. And then then he threw a really great forearm at one of the security guards. And uh, and then, you know, that they, they, she got the ultimate ultimate heat, which is the woman, you know, kissing her very sort of gnarly looking husband and uh it's just perfect like that whole thing worked for me and you know i don't i don't know i mean they have two weeks left and hopefully you know they don't really screw anything up like i'd be totally fine with ronda like not even doing anything for two weeks so that they don't screw it up but she's been absolutely perfect for like these last two to three weeks i've just been like whatever they're doing with her, I don't know how much of it is Paul Heyman or her or Vince, but whatever it is, like they've been really on the ball with her character. Yeah, yeah, no, she's been great, and I like the little backstage segment where she's walking in. They had security guards like there to protect her, or whatever, and she's like, "Yeah, we don't even," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And she got her husband Travis Brown in the mix, so it's, you know, 
I'm sure she was pretty stoked about that. And yeah, the whole scenario is wild and crazy, and that's what she kind of need building up to this match and building up to WrestleMania. You need these big like moments each Monday or each th- each Tuesday leading up to it. So I don't know they're doing a great job with this with this three way match. Now, what do you think about what they did on SmackDown, which was Charlotte and Becky kind of being led into a fight by Kevin Owens? Because Kev- so so basically the story is they were both on the KO show. Kevin Owens was being Kevin Owens. And he was just his whole thing was to try to get them to fight. Like that's what he he's like. He's like you. Get, you guys know what my thing is: is fight Owens fight. But what about fight Becky fight and fight Ronda fight? And eventually they did do the pull apart. Which, when you watch the Ronda stuff, it's not as believable as the Ronda stuff. But I didn't really have a problem with the pull apart because you know there's, you know the, the both women are, are pretty hot. But I guess the question I have for you is, do you think Charlotte, because, you know, Ronda kind of stole a little bit of what she was doing by turning heel, because Charlotte was really kind of on fire as the heel, and now she's, she you know, maybe, maybe she's not the, the most hated anymore, and Becky's obviously the baby face, but I, I, what I don't want is Charlotte to get lost in this thing, because, you know, you know I, I think you agree with me, that she's just the best one out of the three, but, uh, you know, I feel like and this was also my worry, which is the longer that they do these storylines, like they, you know, that they, they, they do too much, and then, you know, the 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 match actually doesn't get hotter; it gets it, it could get colder. In this case, I don't think the match in of itself is getting colder, but I think Charlotte may be losing a little bit of steam. She might be losing a little steam in the build, but you know, they only got a couple more weeks. I think she'll be fine. And when it comes to the match, I think she's going to be the best performer of the three. Yeah. And I think she'll stand out at the end. So that, that's kind of what I, that's, that's pretty much what I think too. She's but, not going to win, but in the end, I mean, all three are going to get over that match. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's, let's dig through some of the rest of this stuff. So you had, um, you had Seth Rollins. Uh, let me, uh, let me pull up my notes here for for Seth. So you had Seth face uh, Drew McIntyre on Raw, which was the main event segment before he came. Before actually before the the show started, or right when the show started, Brock and Paul Heyman were in the ring, and 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 Seth attacked Drew McIntyre and beat him up with a chair, and then he went in the ring with the chair, and Brock took a powder. But my whole thing was. Guess what, Seth? Unless this is a no DQ match, you you're not gonna be able to bring the chair into the ring with Brock, buddy. Like you better you better be ready to to you know to fight. But uh, he had a match with with Drew to end the show, and Brock, uh, you know, Brock just being there kind of caught Seth got caught up. Distraction finish. Seth gets pinned. Drew McIntyre uh, is gonna probably face Roman Reigns, which is where they're leading. But I'm, I I just want Seth. To look strong heading into this match, and he's not look strong. He's basically he's definitely the underdog babyface here, and I think that's just a tired, tired storyline. And I think he needs to look strong, but uh, they only have two weeks, and I, and I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, he needs to get something on Brock in the next two weeks, like some kind of physical confrontation between the two, and and he needs to definitely out quick outsmart 
and you know send Brock reeling a little bit. So there's some some hope for the fans. Um, I thought uh, I, I thought the match was good. The main event was good, but that that damn distraction finish, right? It's like WWE does that so much. I it's know. Like, it's so it's like such like a the crutch music, for them. Yeah, it's like the music played. He turned around. You know, Claiborne kick. Boom. One, two, three. It was. Uh, it was kind of like, oh man, this same old, same old kind of stuff. That's what I felt like at the end. Um, uh, it was kind of interesting when Drew came out to confront Paul Heyman and Brock. That kind of got me pumped for that match. You know, <laughs> but for, man, I kind of want to see that because you know, that, like when it comes to like being physical and intimidating uh, figure, like Drew has it right now. Right, he just seems like the guy right now. And just seems has everything going. He can go in the ring. He got a promo. Um, has a, a, a fantastic look. You know, like he he's he has the whole presentation. And I didn't like the whole like chair stuff. I thought it made him look kind of look kind of weak. But then you know, of course he he was the one that was getting his hand raised at the end. So that's yeah. probably just justification of that. But okay, so you just what you just said. Now, what would you rather see? Seth Rollins going to WrestleMania as the underdog beats Brock Lesnar wins the title as you know as the underdog babyface or Brock retains goes into the next show whatever the next show is and Drew turns and goes baby and beats Brock for the title at the next big show which of those two would you rather see um I think I would rather see Drew beat Brock and then you can have Drew as a champion, and Roman and Seth can chase Drew. You know, mm-hmm. I would like to see Ro- Drew actually beat Roman at WrestleMania. And I know that people think I'm crazy to say <laughs> that, but but like it's kind of traditional Japanese booking when a guy comes back from an injury, he loses his big first match. You know, but he's not ready. He, he's not ready. He's not one hundred percent. And you know, I just think you can get away with it. You know. And I, I just don't think beating Drew right now is a smart move. That's why I was kind of hoping he either beat Cena at WrestleMania or destroyed Ambrose at WrestleMania, like instead of Reigns, which I feel like that's a match for later in the year than it is for, for WrestleMania for now. Yeah. I mean, it's WrestleMania next year, but um, but yeah, I just. I, yeah, I hope he doesn't lose. And I know, you know, I know they probably want to feel a good moment. And but I think it's okay. You're gonna have plenty of feel good moments on on that on WrestleMania. And I think, I think, Drew beating Roman Reigns is not a bad thing. I really want them to pick a guy, whether it's Seth or Drew or Braun. Pick one of those guys. And just push them as humanly possible as you can and try to heat them up as much as you can because they need more guys who the fans believe in. Everyone knows Brock is a badass. Like, you you don't have to, you know, he, he is legit a badass. Roman is their top guy. I think everyone knows that. But you need more than just those two guys as believable in the fans eyes and i think it's you know seth drew 
Braun, Bobby Lashley, whoever it is, like you need to heat guys up so that the fans look at those guys as possible contenders because or else your storyline is, you know, underdog babyface who no you know, who Brock Lesnar laughs at every match. <laughs> like, you know, that I mean that they've done that for like what, like three or four big matches for Brock in a row. And it's like, okay, like I get it, but I would love to see Brock look at someone and go, huh, I gotta kind of take this guy seriously because he's like legit. And uh, I would love to see that story a little bit more. But anyways, okay. Um, Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston. So it seems like they're still steering towards that match, but uh, Kofi was given the opportunity to run the gauntlet against Cesaro and Sheamus and Samoa Joe and Randy Orton and Eric Rowan and at the very end, he runs the gauntlet, and then Vince McMahon comes out and says, great job, you did a fantastic job going through this gauntlet, but guess what, you got one more guy, and it's Daniel Bryan, and then Daniel Bryan beats him, and Kofi is still not with uh, his title match at WrestleMania. So my question to you is, how do they make Kofi Kingston get in this match without it being super corny? <laughs> it's going to be super corny. And I think that it's been dragged on so long that I think when they finally get there, no one's going to care. I just don't feel like it. You know, I just think it's losing kind of steam. Like, another thing for him to get over. It's like they want to build like this impossible wall for him to get over to get this title shot. But it's just, I don't know. I hope they have one more creative way to get people pumped to see Kofi finally get his chance at WrestleMania. But I just, this is one one of the storylines I'm just, I'm just, not really into at all yeah I, I I've been I feel like I've been a little tough on Kofi uh, and who Kofi doesn't care like he doesn't care if I'm tough on him but I feel a little bad because I know a lot of fans are so dialed into Kofi oh he deserves it and you and I have both said like does he really deserve it or is it like you know should, should you push a guy because he's been here forever or should you push a guy because he's a star? And I I see the manipulation of the hardcore fan base going and like these fans are getting really frustrated. They're like, God, I'm about to give up on Kofi because I really I was really into this two weeks ago and now you're making him look weak and, and not smart and I don't want to root for a guy who keeps getting screwed. Like, can't you figure out the screw job before it comes, like if you're a smart baby face? And so I'm, uh, I hope they have something smart because I think that fan base who's been behind this angle needs a, needs a good payoff, right? Or else they'll just feel manipulated. And I don't know if that's necessarily what you want to do with the uh, hardcore fan base here. But uh, moving along, uh, what did you think of Triple H and Batista's with Batista's interview about why he wants the match and Triple H always treating him like the muscle and never respecting him and all that stuff? Uh, this is the weakest part of the storyline so far. It just, I just, this is one of those other storylines that just is not a, not a belief. It's like all of a sudden this comes out. It's just, it's a really forced storyline and I thought this is Day's weakest performance of the three so far so I hope they come back with something better next week because I, I really wasn't into this interview with Michael Cole at all thought it was pretty 
pretty weak. I thought it was pretty weak all, all in all. Do you feel like Batista is cutting a promo or is he trying to act? Acting. It, right? That, that's what I feel like too. I think he's trying to show us that he's a good actor and all I want to see is a Batista promo. Well, I mean, he's a good actor though. Like, No, he is, but... Like I want to see like the fiery like Batista promo. I don't want to see him be a thespian for, you know, for three and a half minutes on Raw when it's all goofy stuff. No, you know, all throughout yeah. the show. No, no, this last week on Raw, bad. His stuff previously was was pretty good. Like I liked his little Instagram video that he did, that promo and stuff like that. He showed some really good acting there, but but um, yeah, this one ah nope. This was a this was a kind of a boring segment. Like I was, I was I was watching it, and I found myself drifting. Like I wasn't really caring mm-hmm. as much as I was a little more interested in what was going on in the last couple of weeks. But but all but overall though, I just think this is just a forced like storyline. If it was like big Hollywood Dave, you know, that showed up in November, leading to all this, I think it'd been a lot better. Okay, why can't the story be that Dave just says, look, I did everything I possibly wanted to do in WWF. There was an opportunity to go to Hollywood. I wanted to try that out. And I was fairly successful. And when I wanted to come back to WWE to do something else in WWE Triple H and Stephanie laughed at me because they didn't think that my movie Guardians of the Galaxy was <laughs> important enough it, that that it was going to be successful they 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 didn't believe in me and that really pissed me off and it made me want to be the best version of Drax the Destroyer that I could but it's always been in my craw, and now I want to come back because I want to show them, you know, that they were wrong. Like, why can't the storyline be something like that, which is, it is actual reality, and it 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 takes us outside of the WWE universe for a second, and it goes, and we go, oh yeah, that that's real life. Like, that's actually something that happened. I feel like, for whatever reason... They're trying to tell us that story without telling us that story, and I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah, the whole, like, Batista quitting stuff is just ridiculous, especially when the guy is, like, a big-time Hollywood star now. And I just think it's it's that's, that's kind of far-fetched. Like, he quit, and, and people are going to understand. Like, but no one really knows, like, he quit, or he didn't really quit. He just got a better opportunity, and... He took a chance. He's an older guy, and he's you know want to capitalize on the Hollywood stuff. And he did really well. He got in a role that made him a big star, and he's you know featured in other films and doing really well. He's a good actor. Like you know, like if you watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine, like he had a small part, but it was a, I mean, he was great in that small part. So yeah, you're right. It should be a little more reality based, but the reality based is just kind of like one of those so inside. I don't think a lot of fans are really, really getting. And the other thing about this is like, like Vince McMahon. Okay. Now this is, this is getting a little bit inside baseball here, but 
Okay, the the idea of Vince McMahon as this creator of superstars. Like, that's what he wants people to know him as, right? He's this great marketer. He creates bigger-than-life characters, and he's the best at doing that, right? Like, that's kind of his MO. Now, isn't it... Doesn't it show that he is absolutely the best at doing this if we acknowledge that Rock, John Cena, and Batista are all movie stars and they came from WWE and they're basically playing a version of their character from WWE. Why do we not give, why, why does WWE not give credit to that idea and why why are they so standoffish when it comes to that stuff? Like, why why don't we talk about Batista being a great big movie star? Why don't we talk about John Cena being a big movie star? Like that is actually the best um, credit to give Vince McMahon in creating stars. It's like you created a star and then they took it to Hollywood and and became you know just as big or bigger. Like why don't they acknowledge that part of it? Maybe because, maybe because Vince is not getting any money off those movies. You know? <laughs> There's nothing for him to promote. Like if he's not getting a dollar. Why does he waste his time for it? You know. But that's the one they can think of. You know, state they don't like to put over what's not theirs. Or Vince never be like that, right? When it comes to you know past stuff, but like you know, you know he likes to change characters to fit his. You know, version, you know, of that character, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's like, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate acknowledgement that Vince is really good at that is when these guys become even bigger taking his blueprint. And I'm like, why don't you just acknowledge that? Because it shows that you are the star maker that you think you are. But whatever. Um, Okay. AJ Styles, Randy Orton, not a lot of stuff going on. I think we both think that's going to be a really strong match, and it's probably the match that I'm looking most forward to at WrestleMania. We'll, we'll talk about that as more stuff comes out about it. But um, what did you think of Kurt Angle's announcement about Baron Corbin? I think it's a fake out. A, a lot I, of people think that. I think that, you know, I don't know what or who. It could be Cena. It could be some other people. Um, my 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 suggestion of Charlie. Ha- I didn't actually suggest Charlie Haas, but I was just wondering what he was doing at this point because you know the whole team angle thing. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be him, but you know, I think it's. I think he's going to destroy Baron Corbin, and and a surprise will come out. Who? I'm not sure, but you know, there's a short list of guys in that role, right? That could be something special for Kurt Angle to wrestle. Doesn't have to be a long match. Um but yeah, I, th- I think I, th- I think I think they have something else planned. I think the idea is to get people to be like, huh. That's it. That's the opponent. I mean not like Baron Corbin is not a bad wrestler or anything like that. It's just like when you're building up this big last match, you expect some big big you know name to oppose him and you say baron corbin and it's like you know i think they want the crowd to be deflated because they're going to get a special surprise at wrestlemania 
the who I just don't know. I just think they're. I think this is awfully suspicious. I think they're really WWE is really into, or Vince is into, playing with the fans right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was another moment where he could play with the fans. So, so uh, John Cena is supposed to be wrestling on the show, but we don't know who. It could be Kurt. Totally could be Kurt. Yeah. Um, so Samoa Joe is facing Rey Mysterio. Um, that should that should be a fun match though. I think Ray and Andrade originally in the hair versus mask match would have been so much better. But look, Samojo and Ray Mysterio is going to be good. They probably won't get the time that they would on like a, another pay per view, but it'll st- it'll still I be a good match. That match that if they do the hair versus mask match down the line, it, it needs to be on a, a show where they can have a little more time for their match because yeah, for sure, thrown on this WrestleMania when it has 156 matches, like <laughs> it's only going to get six minutes. It's, that's not what match you need. For, that's not what you need for a hair versus mask match. You know, it needs at the minimum a good 20 minutes or 18 to 20 minutes. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I'm okay with it being on a a money in the bank or even a SummerSlam we would be good. Uh what did you think of uh Ray having his son in his interview segment on SmackDown? Like just out of the blue. Like, oh Dominic's there. What do you what do you say, Dominic? You know what? I didn't really watch SmackDown, so so you have to fill me in. Was did he do anything? Didn't do anything. Just Got his son on the show. Just was like, hey, what's up, man? His son's wrestling, right? He's training to be a wrestler at that at, at the I think it's Team Three D's school, I believe. I think he also he he also did something with Lance. Oh, okay. So it may, or, or maybe maybe it was Lance that that he was training with. But basically what the funniest part of it was, you know, Ray's like five five, I think. Mm. And so Dominic next to Ray looked like he was like seven feet tall. But he, I mean, he's probably like six, at least six one, six two, maybe. Uh, Does he look like a good athlete? Like, looks like a wrestler? I mean, I got, now, now he, I want to go back check him out. Looks like a young, he looks like a young kid. He's he's still he still looks really young, but you know, he just looks like he just looked like Ray's like really gigantic son is what he looked like. <laughs> is he still confused about who his father is? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because some people who didn't know about that storyline, because you know they for whatever they're younger or whatever they started going back to like what is this stuff about you know dominic and and eddie and and ray and vicky like i missed all this stuff what happened like they're all in, into that part now i was like just go back and watch the tv on the network it's all on it's all on there um okay so uh quickly let's go through some of these other matches we can talk about them a little bit more next week but um uh so uh, Asuka is going to defend her SmackDown title against the winner of Mandy Rose, Naomi, Carmella, and Sonya Deville. It really is unfortunate that Asuka is like one of the best wrestlers in the whole company, and she is going to be in a pre-show match against one of those four women. We talked about Mandy Rose. Mandy Rose got her chance at the last show, didn't have a great match. I don't know who's going to win this, but... I, I mean, maybe what happens is is uh, Lacey Evans gets in there some 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 way, and maybe she wins the match. I, I mean, it's 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 not going to be anything special, and Oscar, you know, is deserving of something that is really really special. So it's a four way, right? Yep. And it's the two teams, but one team is having issues. I remember reading the results for SmackDown, and Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose are 
on the outs or having some problems or something like that, if I if I yep. remember correctly. Yep. Hmm. So I'm trying to figure out who would be in this match. I mean, it could be the Iconics or at least one of them, but I just don't see that happening. I see them in that multi. Yeah, yeah, they're they're already in that tag team title match with uh, with Mandy. Um... Just got a shot, Oscar. So that kind of leaves Sony Deville as the favorite. But what do you think about this? What if there's a double pin? Mandy pins Peyton Royce. Sonya pins Billy Kay. And then it's a three-way at uh, at WrestleMania. Not like... I mean, there's intrigue. There's definitely intrigue if they want to do the blow-off there with their relationship. Not like... Yeah, but I just think maybe something like that or something like that will happen out of it. Because I feel like you're going to try to put, you know, WrestleMania is going to be the multi-mania. Oh, God. Multi-match mania. This is like well, WrestleMania eight. 2000 all over again. I just feel like that's what it feels like because they, so they have so much talent and they have a, you know, a, you know, a 24-hour show. They got to fit all these matches. It's just I know. ridiculous. I know. I'm, I'm going to watch this with, the, with over the week. <laughs> a match a my, day. <laughs> if I have to. Um, so... What about my idea, which is, you take Shayna. One one day, so Mandy Rose comes out, and Shayna's there, and you're like, "Wow, what's Shayna doing there?" And the entire thing is like they just replace Sonya Deville with Shayna, and we pretend that Shayna's been there the whole time, and it's always been Shayna. That's that's my idea. Let's let's get Shayna involved. Because, because, because of she like this is this is like um, uh, what's the famous uh, the bewitched right with the two dare with the two uh, Darrens, um. There's been other TV shows. They the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. They had uh, two Aunt Vivs, right? So Shayna just becomes Shayna, and she just replaces Sonya Deville, and we don't even explain it. We just presume that she's been there the whole time. We pretend that she's been there the whole time. And at least we get Shayna on SmackDown. That that's my idea to get to get Shayna out there. I'm gonna say that Shayna will debut the next night on Raw after Mania and choke out Becky Lynch. That would be during awesome. Her, during her celebration, and that'll be Becky's new new challenger, or maybe uh, or maybe Charlotte comes out to confront Becky, but then Shayna and the other four horsewomen take out take out them too and then you know you have that or something like that i'm in i like it so a couple other matches uh buddy murphy and tony niece tony niece won the tournament uh the 205 live tournament he beat cedric alexander in the finals uh i it's gonna be another pre-show match but buddy murphy is so good uh maybe tony niece wins this this match and buddy murphy moves up or changes brands or something because i think he needs to be showcased he's much better than uh, than than what they do with him. Um, yeah. Shane McMahon against the Miz. Shane came out and said that uh, the reason he turned is uh, because he's he doesn't want to be the nice guy and help everyone anymore. It was really like a non-explanation. Another non-explanation. Yeah. yeah. So I was not impressed with Shane's interview, but the thing I was most impressed with is they showed a, a highlight package on. Raw promoting WrestleMania through this match, and Shane was in those uh, 
you know, we don't, we don't, we, we don't call them wife beater tank tops anymore, but that's what people know them as. He was just in like that white tank top. Traps were like coming out of his ears. It was ridiculous. I was like, holy cow, this guy is training for WrestleMania right now. Um, and then, like I mentioned, Bailey and Sasha against um, Natalia and Beth Phoenix, who's coming out of retirement. Again, and uh, also against Nia Jax and Tamina, and then Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. So there are at least four teams in that tag team, women's tag team title match. Sadly, it doesn't look like I'm going to get Trish and Lita in that match. Or maybe you will. Maybe it's one more team. (laughs) (laughs) The overbooking of all overbooking. Mm -hmm. I just figure with Beth coming out of retirement, that's probably the, the one throwback, you know, person they want. Um, and then we have the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. The only person that we, I think we know is that Braun Strowman is in that match. Uh, and then the Women's Battle Royal is also going to happen. Uh, I don't. I mean, two Battle Royals, both of them are going to probably be on the pre-show. I don't know. The, this match, the, this is like a nightmare trying to think of what the match order is going to be. So there has and there has to be Lashley versus the Demon, Finn Balor. <sighs> How though? Like it's so it's, cold. It's the but it's so cold. Like I'm just saying, that's that, I, I do. I put it together the other day. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I was. And I'm like, I kept thinking, like, it's just it, it kind of funny to me that every time Finn Balor gets in the ring with Lashley in tag matches or single matches, like, Lashley just eats his lunch. Yep. And at first I thought maybe it was just like a, you know, Finn didn't see, like, Finn at, at Lashley's level or... Or what? But I think it's just because the human, <laughs> as ridiculous as it sounds, the human Finn Balor, Mr. Second Place, you know, happy to be second place, like, he can't beat Bobby Lashley, but the demon can. That That is fine. But I also feel like Vince McMahon's like, you know what? We need to beat the demon so that we're not handicapping our booking, and he's going to lose this match. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what this is, this is what drives this drives me. It makes my head explode. Is like, okay, if this is the booking, this is the desired ending. This is what you want to get to the demon. The demon coming back to defeat Bobby Lashley. Why'd you do the quickie child change with Finn Balor beating Leo Rush? Like, it's just something to keep it going. That's all it was. It wasn't anything. You know, it's just. Uh, it just was silly. I think, you know what? I wish they would make this Andre Giant Battle Royal mean something a little more. Like, I think they it would be nice to not not to do the demon, and just have Finn and Lashley and a couple other quote unquote you know bigger names in the battle royal and and make it on the main card and make it mean something. They should make a tradition where the winner of the Battle Royal gets a immediate title shot the next night on Raw. Like, you have something to look forward to, like, with the winner or something like that, you know? I don't know. I think they should do something cool. I mean, the, it'd be nice to do something special that Battle Royal, make something, make it mean something, you know? I completely agree with you, but I feel like they think, like, well, we're just get well, we're getting these guys on the show so that they get paid, so that's good enough. <laughs> True, but like instead of like having, you know, you know, sixteen, seventeen matches, you could put some of these bigger names, of course, you know, in this battle royal 
and make it a really good battle royal. Like, yeah, you, you get out the lower end guys fast, but then when it comes down to the final five or six or four, it's a really good match, you know, with, with, with a lot of like, you know, near eliminations and uh, the final two go for a good three to four minutes of great action. And, 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 and the winner not only just wins the, 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 the battle royal and they get a trophy, but like, it's, man, why does they, would they get a, a tile shot the next night on Raw or within the next few weeks of Raw or something like that? So make it important. I, okay, I don't know what the writer meetings are like in WWE, like, you know, these long meetings where they come up with all the ideas for all the stuff. But what if when they're running through this WrestleMania card, which you know, probably has 16 or 17 matches, and they're going through, like, okay, what are we going to do here? And Vince is like, what are we going to do for the Battle Royal? And they're like, bronze winning. He's like, all right, that's it, next match. <laughs> like, do you think they actually book this thing with the idea that there's something leading towards the future? I'm guessing this whole thing with Braun and this Battle Royal is just to get to one of those that one guy from SNL to think that, he can this is wrestling and it's fake and he could jump in there and have a good old time and but then you're gonna have brock eliminate him or both of them i mean braun sorry eliminate both of them you know i just think it's something to do with that because they've been building that up right can we get drew carey back in i'm just thinking that's what because like with the snl guys the host or whatever the hell they are not the host they are the correspondent the week yeah yeah the weekend update guys you're talking about i just think i just <clears throat> think there's something with that right that's like their celebrity tie-in which doesn't mean doesn't feel like a big celebrity tie-in at all this feels like like yeah and i haven't really watched snl in a very long time and but so i don't know how popular those guys are but well you know what the problem is is those guys are actually pretty funny um but when they get on wwe tv the wwe the wwe writers make them not that funny <laughs> like yeah. that's the problem well because they're 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 made to be they're supposed to be annoying to like it's almost like okay you're gonna be our celebrity guests wrestling fans are not gonna like you because you're in their world so we're gonna make you just annoying and then braun's gonna be the one that's gonna make you pee your pants and so that's why i think something's gonna have to battle royal with that i think i think it's just it's just this whole battle royal thing is just a backdrop just for braun to throw those guys around to get that visual for the entertainment weekly or whatever hell whatever's whatever's the news popular thing tmz whatever it is you know the people go on to watch this crap but i i it's not gonna get it's gonna get no one's gonna care though yeah i will say it's better than nicholas I'm not saying a lot though. Dude, okay, they should give Dana uh, Nicholas a Dana Warrior Award. <laughs> yeah. Sue Sue Atchison. Well, no, Nicholas will win it in like ten years. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, he yeah. definitely come yeah. back. Okay, so that's the end of our Road to WrestleMania segment. We'll do another one next week, and then, like I said, when we're out there for WrestleMania, we'll figure out a day that we're going to record, and and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do like one last preview of WrestleMania. Um, okay, so. We have been doing the uh, 1993 Raws from Raw number one. And what happened for the next Raw, which would be number 11, is that they did a show called uh, The March to WrestleMania, 
which was on a Sunday. And rather than have a Raw that was like the go-home show to WrestleMania like they would do today, they just replayed the March to WrestleMania, which is a taped hype show with angles leading to WrestleMania. So since there was not a Raw for us to uh, for us to review, we decided to watch WrestleMania 9. And I will say, when I was a kid watching WrestleMania 9, actually, how old was I? I wasn't really a kid. I was, I was a kid. I was like 16. Um, I was very, dis- I, I was trying to feign excitement of this show because of Hogan coming back, but overall, it was a little bit unfulfilling and I didn't think it was that good of a show. But now, watching in hindsight, I really got a kick out of this show. Not all of it, but for the most part, I felt I felt like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. I I, I thought it was, it was a lot better than I remember. And I remember I was a I was a freshman in high school when this uh, in 1993, or no, I would have been a sophomore in high school when this when this came out. So freshman, yeah, freshman. And I remember I didn't watch it live. I listened to it live. I listened on Scramble Vision. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody who is not our age understands what Scramble Vision, or what I used to call it, squiggly TV mm-hmm. was like. Because basically back in the day, we had these cable boxes that were um, – they had a dial on them. They weren't like, you know, your direct TV or your Comcast box today or whatever your cable company is where you, you, you push your remote and it changes the buttons. We actually had to go up to the box and we had to turn the dial. And so based on, you know, you had channels one through 13 and then it went from A to Z. So mm-hmm. your pay-per-view channel may have been on channel x or something right no actually that was probably the porno channel (laughs) channel w or whatever right (laughs) and then so when you went to channel w if you didn't buy the show they would scramble it and so you saw like a, a wavy line version in like these green colors and so you couldn't watch it but you could actually hear it and for wrestling fans we were so into what the result was, we would literally sit there and watch it through this squiggly stuff only to hear sort of the play-by-play, which is kind of like listening to a wrestling show on radio. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. And, and it was very – and you know, honestly, I, I, I listened to a lot of WWF pay-per-views that way because I was you know a big WCW fan, so I would save my money or save my – can we order this, please? You know, to mm-hmm. mom and dad for WCW. One, it was cheaper, like usually five bucks cheaper. You know, WCW was, and I could always watch the WWF pay per view on Coliseum Video within, you know, whatever it was, like a four weeks order was. Or my friend Chad Ing, three blocks down, would watch, would tape it for me, and I would get it the next day. And that's usually what happened. I actually would get a blank VHS tape. I said, Chad, can you tape it for me? Because he had the the box. I didn't get the box until 94. And he would tape it much to his dad's 
<laughs> being like pissed off that his TV's being taken up for like three hours. She had to take John LaRocca some wrestling. <laughs> uh, but uh, but then I would get to take the next day at school, and I just would sit there in class and not pay attention because I just wanted to watch it, even though I know what happened. And I remember listening to this pay review and being because it's. You know, the excitement is there with the commentary, you know, and and, and you're just like, whoa, what's happening? And you yeah. know the results. But, like, yep. like, I remember watching SummerSlam 93 on Scramble Vision, and that first match with, like, the heavy bodies of Steiner Brothers felt like it was, like, this greatest match of all time because <laughs> they're doing all these crazy moves. And, the, and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this. So, that, I mean, it, it was a fun time, you know, back then. Yeah, abs- it. It, it was fun, but it was us – having to be creative because we didn't have everything at our fingertips right like now today kids kids listening to this or teenagers listening to this are like well why would you just watch it on scramble scramble tv why wouldn't you go on your computer go to twitch or go to like the pirate the pirate bay and just or or you know the stream and find search for the the wrestlemania stream and then just watch it like what are you doing why are you guys so dumb it's like because we could we couldn't do it that way guys it's funny how you say like you you know it's been a while since you watched this one and you don't you know remember as much but then you watch it it's a lot better than you thought but like i feel the same way but for some reason i remember that day of my life clearly (laughs) <laughs> like I know right afterwards I went outside, I got my basketball out, I started shooting hoops from my house. Um, other kids in my neighborhood would come around, I'd be like and of course no one watched wrestling other than myself. My friend Chad was out of it, but I was just bugging him because I get the black box that like, came with my wrestling for me. And I remember shooting hoops with around some of the neighborhood kids. I'm like, Did you guys hear? Hogan won the title again. <laughs> and it was like and it was like and they're like Oh, cool. You know, I don't know where he's came. The one about like it was crazy, but I haven't seen it yet. You know, it was just like I just kept thinking like what it was like and everything. It was you were you were you were the guy with the scoops. That's who you were. Yeah, yeah. No, but but you know, no one because ninety three wrestling was so down. I was so down, so down. Okay, so uh, Gorilla Monsoon starts the show, and who does he kick kick it off to? None other than Jim Ross. Now, Jim Ross is in a toga. He's wearing gold sandals. And he's doing the Jim Ross thing where he's, you know, he, you know, he's like, oh, you know, what would people think in Tulsa if they saw me looking like this? And he's doing the total Jim Ross WCW guy character. And what is his first, his first, the first thing he does is not to call a match. They literally put him in charge of doing the play-by-play of Randy Savage and Bobby Heenan coming down the aisle. This is his first play-by-play job. Savage comes down. He's carried like sort of in a in a chariot in a sense, but it's just basically he's laying on this bed and there's these big buff dudes carrying him who would not have passed a steroid test by the way i don't know if they were like wrestlers or 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 whatever but those guys were jacked um and then uh and with the vestal virgins you know jim ross had to get the vestal virgins line out and then the next the next thing is heenan coming down 
uh, turned backwards on a camel, which was very funny because Heenan played it up. But like, this is what Jim Ross has to do is do the play-by-play of these guys coming down the aisle to do broadcasting with him. I thought that was like the most Vince thing ever was to have Jim like literally prove himself by calling play-by-play of what was going on. I was just like, wow, this is this is like exactly what you would expect on Jim's first like let's just throw him out there like he's got to prove his worth like this is he's supposed to be the best guy let's see him be the best guy and call this and so what I did was I decided to dig into how Jim left WCW and uh, and and to go to WWF Jim's got a book out um, there are the observers from that time period so I just kind of dug through all that and um what you know basically what happened is is as we know in uh, WCW 1992 Bill Watts comes in it is both a gift and a curse for Jim Ross because Jim Ross is always going to be Bill Watts's guy knowing his time from Mid-South and he was Bill's like right-hand man and so when Bill comes into WCW he's the boss and Jim is kind of like his his guy and everyone knows that Jim is his guy and that kind of, you know, politically doesn't make Jim necessarily all the friends in the world because Bill Watts is there. But what happens is, is Bill doesn't stay all that long and he's eventually fired. And so now Jim is kind of like on an island by himself because his, his security is, is gone. And uh, one thing that Bill did before, uh, before he left was he re-signed Jim to a contract that basically said that he had to be the voice of the pay-per-views and the clash of the champions. So he was there. I think, I think in, in Jim's book, he said that he was the VP of broadcasting for Turner. Like that was like his official title. So when Eric Bischoff gets the, uh, he becomes in charge. And I don't really think this was necessarily Bischoff's call, but knowing that, you know, Ross was not necessarily, uh, the the he, he like again he was he was Watts's guy so he's kind of like the odd man out and so uh, Bill Shaw basically says to Jim you know why don't you take some time off you know we're, we're sort of figuring things out here come back in six weeks and we'll we'll try and get you back on the air and Jim was like I'm the lead guy like my contract says I'm the lead announcer and Bill's like look. You know, right now, we'll, we'll, we're just going to reassign you. You're going to be the syndication sales guy. And uh, just take some time off. You know, your contract is for X number of years. You're, you're good. Like, just sort of rest on your laurels is kind of like the idea. And so Jim says that he, I think he went on vacation or whatever. And in his book, he said, you know, he was at the Bahamas or something. And in his book, this is like, you know, you would think that this is like a, 25 page diatribe of Watts leaving and what it meant and him like trying to get out of WCW but he wrapped it up really quickly which I was a little bit disappointed in because I wanted to kind of read the inside juice but anyways Jim uh, is not going to just sit back and be syndication sales guy he is going to look at his options. And because he has this clause in his contract that basically says he's the lead announcer for these things, by him not being that guy, uh, is a breach of contract from WCW, at least as far as he's concerned. 
And so he uses Bruce Pritchard to get a hold of Vince and Bruce is the conduit to Vince. So basically the hook, part of the hook for Jim selling himself to WWE is, look, I have this radio show. WCW sponsors it. You guys come on the radio show, announce that I'm going to be the lead WWE announcer or WWF announcer, and you guys can sponsor the show and it'll be a WWF show. You could imagine how frustrated that WCW may have been when that happened, but that literally happens days before WrestleMania. Vince McMahon comes on this show to announce that Jim Ross is the lead announcer and is going to be the broadcaster at WrestleMania. This seems like something that Vince would be interested in. He That's kind of up his alley when it comes to this stuff. So JR's point of view was that WCW did sponsor the show, but it was all him. They didn't own anything. He could, he could do this. This wasn't against his contract in any way. And so uh, WCW kind of... I, I think they had sort of agreed to let him out of the contract and they weren't going to fight him in leaving, but they were uh, a little bit like they, they weren't necessarily trying to do him that favor of releasing him. So they kind of held on to the contract. And I think that was sort of the impetus for Jim to go, okay, like you're going to do this. Well, I'm going to put Vince McMahon on the show and then you'll release me. And so, uh, he like, that's, that's just, the way that they that they got him on was like he is he is the lead WCW guy. They don't use him. He finds a way out of his contract and puts Vince on the air and forces WCW's hand to let him go so that he could be the broadcaster for WrestleMania 13. Like I not that I didn't like believe the full story because it sounds a little bit outlandish, but just that you know, Jim kind of was, not, I guess manipulative might be the right word, but there was tons of gamesmanship involved because I think that while he was, you know, portraying sort of woe is me with WCW, his instinct was like, I'm going to portray a little bit of woe is me, but I'm also going to contact WWE and I'm going to be their announcer. And so people are going to worry about me, but really what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this into you know, a new job opportunity. So, and that's what happens. Like, I, I think Vince, I don't, I don't think Vince exactly paid him what he got paid in WCW, but, um, you know, it was an opportunity for JR to be the, the, the lead announcer there. So f- friggin' amazing story and somewhat unbelievable, but from everything that I've been able to figure out, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened. And, and I remember being just, kind of shocked when he showed up on WrestleMania 9. I didn't know, you know, obviously I didn't, I didn't get the radio station. It was, I think it was out in Georgia, right? Like, yeah. So when I heard his voice, I was like, what? Jim Ross? Because, you know, I love Jim Ross. Still do. And, you know, he was, he's my voice for wrestling, yeah. right? Growing up. And and so, along with Gorilla and, uh, and, and Jesse and all that stuff. But for, you know, for being such a diehard WWE fan, uh, you know, Jim Ross called a lot of matches, and, and I was really bummed. But like, I remember that Super Brawl '93 when it was Shivani and Tony Shivani and Jesse Ventura, and not Jim Ross calling the pay per view. 
it was a bit of a bummer because I, as good as that nineteen the Super Bowl ninety three was, like it would have been just a little bit damn better with Jim mm-hmm. Ross. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. Okay, so our first match is Shawn Michaels versus Tatanka, which has been built up through the Raws that we've been watching the whole time. Tatanka even pins him in a match that you were at live uh, in San Jose. HBK comes out with Luna Vachon. And Luna, I think this is um, this is her first time on TV, unless she did tapings before that were shown after. I'm not sure if, if that happened or not, but she comes out and she is a much different character than uh, anybody who sort of who they portrayed before. You know, um, the the their style of valets or women managers were more like Sherry Martell, who's also in this match. She's actually comes out uh, to be involved as well. And Luna was like really like she they had her shave her head so that she had like this punk rock look. She had this, she was really tough looking and the idea was that she was a badass. And th- they would sort of take that blueprint of her and um, utilize it uh, for China like later. And uh, I you know when I saw her come out, I was like, wow, like, I forgot that she was coming. And I didn't really forget because we talked about it, but I forgot she was at this show. And I don't know. I thought she was like really cool looking character. Uh, she, I don't know if she necessarily fit with Sean perfectly, but uh, really, really cool looking. And I, I enjoyed seeing her and then she and Sherry get into it and she body slams Sherry and she kind of, you know, takes advantage of Sherry in the, uh, later in the match. But um, the, the Michaels and Tatanka match was pretty good. It was a pretty good opener. Uh, bad finish, especially because, like, we've been talking about through all these Raws, Tatanka is, like, one of the hottest guys in front of that crowd. And the finish is a little deflating. And the match, I thought, was maybe, like, I don't know, a few minutes past its peak when, when the finish happened. But still a pretty good match and a good opener for this show. Yeah, the match is good. You're dead wrong, dead on. It was. It went a little bit too long. Uh, it definitely the the disqualification was definitely deflated the crowd. They didn't want to beat Sean. They also didn't want to. They want to keep Tatanka's quote unquote unbeaten streak going. So that's what they went with. I I would have went with the title change here. Yeah, me too. But but they are on moving on to Sean versus Mr. Perfect um, after this. So. And I think Luna doesn't really stay with Sean. I think she ends up going with Bam Bam Bigelow. Yep, yep. And then they ended up becoming a twosome. So, but yeah, it was a it was a nice opener. Um, it was interesting that they made really reference to Sean's hurt shoulder, and working with the hurt shoulder. I thought that was uh, interesting, you know, because they really didn't play it up on TV leading up to it, you know. So I think Macho Man might have mentioned it. They made a <laughs> focus I got it. So Macho Man said some funny out there stuff in this oh my god he's he is all over the place on this show yeah he was on one i think (laughs) uh so the the next match is the steiners against head shrinkers and a lot of people think this is like an underrated a gem of a wrestlemania match i the match is 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 good for sure um and uh I don't, but I just like I remember the Steiners in like 1990, 89 and 90 when they're kind of coming up, 
And then at some point in uh, in 91, they kind of become like that team. You know, they're like the new Road Warriors in the sense of where you're just like, I can't wait for these guys to come out because they're just going to kick ass and win this match. And the WWE version of the Steiners is not that yet, though they still look impressive in this match. Um, they win with the Frankensteiner. It's a, a, the head shrinkers. Can you and you can explain this because uh, you know you, this is this is sort of your peak as far as wrestling fandom. But the head shrinkers came from WCW as the Simone SWAT team. And then there was like this weird change where they they swapped out one of the guys and uh, they called them the New Wild Samoans. But then when they come back to WWE as the Head Shrinkers, they go back with their original team. Like, do you remember the whole genesis of of the the the, the two versions of this team? Yeah, I don't know what happened with Samu, but it was uh, Tonga Kid, who was Tama, who was uh, Jacob Fatu's dad, who was our current APW Universal Heavyweight Champion, and the promotion that i helped book off of wrestling and uh, what happened was me i'll ask a good old tonga kid next time i see him and uh at apw show but i what happened was there was a third member which is tama got brought in with samu fatu and they did some six-man tags in the summer of 1990 and then all of a sudden at that starcade night uh starcade 90 when you know, Sid gets hurt with the punctured lung and the skyscrapers taken out of the Iron Tag Team Tournament. Um, the Wild Samoans replaced him with Tama Tonga, uh, Tama, sorry, Tama and, and, Tama uh, Tonga. Yeah, and Fatu, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, so yeah, and I always thought that was kind of weird because of that, why don't they call Samoan SWAT team? But I don't know why they, they why they did that or they just decided because it's uh, two different members. But, um, you know, maybe Vince didn't want Tama in WWF, you know, because he never went back. He had a, a a hot run when he was younger, right? And that fizzled out. And then maybe, you know, he wanted. Uh... But Samu was Samu was really good. Yeah. And going with the Samu Fatu was, you know, definitely the right call, in my opinion. Um, I thought this match was 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 really damn good. I thought it was. Standards, Steiners, you know, big moves, um, the typical, you know, hot, you know, heat on Scott, hot talk to Rick. Um, they work with the opponent that they're really familiar with in the, the Samoans or the Head Shrinkers, and uh, I thought it was a it was a really fun match, and uh, I, I thought it was definitely one of their better matches at WWF for sure. So this is this is perfect for Jim to call, right? Because yeah. he's very familiar with both of these teams. And when he is ready to call the finish of this match, he screws up the Frankensteiner call and calls it the Steiner line mm-hmm. before correcting himself. And I was just like, oh, Jim, like this was your moment. You screwed it up. And Vince is probably really mad right now. <laughs> That's all I could think about. What about Sam Moose spiking himself? Big time. Oh, I know. He, he, te- I mean, he went for it, right? Yeah, that was nasty. <laughs> so the third match is Doink versus Crush. Ooh. And this was not good. You had the two Doinks doing the, um, you know, the the pantomiming thing with like they were looking into a mirror and seeing each other. And uh, so, as bad as the match was, the worst part was when Todd Pettengill goes into the crowd oh. 
with the fake Japanese media, and they have to play like dumb Japanese guys with American guy making fun of them in 1993. And but that but that's not the like we'll, we'll get to the worst part of the racism on this show. Oh, I know. Which, which I is coming. Know. Which is coming. But it's just like what like who gets their kicks off of like forcing Japanese guys to play stupid? Like it was just so dumb. But well, there's been a tradition of that. I know. You know I know. Finaki and all that, you know, go, you know, and tie and all that stuff. So yeah, I know it was such a horrible segment. Like, yeah. Oh gosh. Well, so what? So what? What did you think about the match? Oh, that was a rough go. I mean, Crush was blown up like fast. Like, did you see that spin kick he did? <laughs> it was just really bad. Crush looked looked awful. This match seeped off. Um, the you know it was cool to see the two doinks, which is one was Steve Kern, um, Skinner. So I thought that was you know that was a cool little moment. Remember when it happened? I thought that was really cool. Like, and I remember like in Matt Bourne's shoot interview, he was talking about this and how Steve Kern was coming up with all these ideas for like. We could do this. We could do that. We could team. He's like, no. <laughs> I'm doing. You're just the guy that we're gonna use to, that you know, for to cheat and you know, blah blah. We're not. We're not a team. Yeah. You know? I so I always remember that. But um, yeah, it was it was pretty bad and pretty bad match. The only thing memorable about it was the two doings gimmick, which which they would go to a lot after that. So. So the next match here is uh, Bob Backlund and Razor Ramon. I, there was no, there wasn't really a feud from what I can remember. No, it was just a match. It was just a match that they put together. Uh, Ramon is limping, and um, and he's limping because he had just had knee surgery, and I believe that he may have gotten a, a staph infection like before this show. But you can tell he's not 100%. It's a short match. He wins with an inside cradle. And, you know, after the... I would say that, uh, you know, Ramon, Ramon is not that far removed from Royal Rumble, where he has title match at Bret Hart. But Backlund is kind of being pushed as this, you know, the, this throwback wrestler. And, and, you know, he's winning old school matches. He's not really doing a 1993 style. And it was just... Ramon just inside cradle out of out of sort of surprise win and he walks out and matches over. I don't know it's kind of weird. Uh, weird, yes, but not weird if you look at what happened with Raiders Ramon a few months because Babyface. So I think this was a tease of that he was gonna he beat Bob Back and Queen with the wrestling hold. Um, so just to you know, so he's gonna go Babyface. So that he just he basically got a Babyface win here. Yeah, and he was super over too. That crowd was loving Razor. Oh yeah, and, oh yeah. And good and good on uh, WWF for recognizing that. So the next match is one of the promoted main events, which is Money Incorporated versus Mega Maniacs. <laughs> DiBiase comes out in like the sweetest like white tuxedo that you you will ever see. He looks like I mean he literally looks like a million bucks before this match starts. So Hogan comes out with this black eye. Like what? I I I meant to look it up, but I didn't look it up. And we'll you know I'll look it up for next week. But do you remember why he had the black eye or how he got the black eye? From what I remember, I don't know if this is true. We got we got to go to our our source, our big 
Big Dave. But <laughs> wasn't it that Macho Man punched him? That that was this definitely one of the stories that's, that was that's out a there. Story, but I don't know if it's a true story or not. I just remember hearing that story. I don't remember. I don't remember anything else. But that that's the one story I always heard. So yeah. I don't know if it's true or not. So we'll have to get confirmation. We'll have confirmation next week uh, from Big Dave. But uh, which is interesting because um, with with this story in mind, I'm think I'm listening to Savage's commentary. And, you know, he's just putting over Hogan like a million bucks, you know. But that's his job, though. He's babyface, right? So he has to do it. But, uh, but yeah, this match was uh, another another fart in an elevator finish, you know. Like, <laughs> the disqualification, the ref bump was creative. So I liked how it was his ref bump. Uh, but, and the match was fine. It's just, it's just, I remember this being a total letdown for a Hogan match being on WrestleMania and, like, some tag match. They, they should have won the titles here. Okay, so there was <sighs> this match. If you are not a Hulk Hogan fan and you're sick of the act, this was probably the worst thirty minutes of your life. If you were, minutes? it was it was long. I don't know if it was thirty minutes, but if you if you add in the end of it where he's just posing forever, it might have been thirty minutes. So so uh, so. The thought, like a lot of, like a lot of the hardcore wrestling fans were like, okay, like we get it, Hogan, his whole thing, but in some instances, WWF is promoting like a new generation, right? Like they're not saying that it's a new generation, but yet Bret Hart is a champion, Yokozuna, Lex Luger, you know, Mister Perfect is kind of like the the veteran of that group, Razor Ramon, Razor Ramon, and so when Hogan comes back. It's like, okay, this is sort of like the old school meets the new school and what's going to happen here. And, you, you know, we, we talk, I talked to, I asked you this question a couple weeks ago, like, what do you think Bret Hart is thinking right now? And you're like, oh man, <laughs> like, you know, Hogan is probably politically going to try to align himself in, in a specific way, and w- which is exactly what happens, right? And some of it is, you know, some of it for Vince, I mean, Vince has got to be looking at, the houses uh, the ratings are okay you know the ratings are not bad but he's got to be looking at the houses going like man we're not drawing people to the to the uh, to the crowds and you know these pay-per-view buys are, are sort of low but the fact of the matter is is that hogan is showing up at some of these house shows and not drawing either so yep. even with hogan there the product is just cold as ice so you would think, like, if you're a Hogan naysayer and you're like, you know what's going to happen? He's going to come in, he's going to put himself over uh, above guys who have been here and blah, 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 blah. But if you're Vince McMahon, you're like, yeah, but he's also our biggest star. And that sort of has to happen. So this match is, it has like two, it's like two matches in one because they do the whole comeback. And then right when they do the comeback, then Money Inc. walks out and they get counted out. But then the referee restarts the match and say that if they get counted out, then the titles change hands. So then you do another match and it's literally the same pacing of the first match. You do the long sell job and then they do the comeback. And and the the funny thing about the finish of this, of this match actually is it's it's a disqualification, like you said. So it's kind of like the, you know, the really eye-rolling finish. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Maybe they just think that fans are like the dumbest people in the entire world. But they get the double pin, and Jimmy Hart comes in the ring because the referee's knocked out, and he like tries to wake up the ref, and the ref won't wake up. So Jimmy has a jacket on, his Mega Maniacs jacket. He turns the jacket inside out. It has white and black stripes on it, so it looks like a referee shirt. This is to signify to the fans that maybe Jimmy is actually the referee of the match, and he does the three count, and the guy, and Hogan and Beefcake get up like they just won the match. And this is the stuff that used to drive me nuts as a wrestling fan, because I used to feel like, why do they think I'm the dumbest person in the world? Like, why do they do this stuff? Then obviously the DQ happens. Hogan and Beefcake don't actually win the match, but they run Money Inc. out. They grab Money Inc.'s briefcase. Maybe the best thing in the whole match is when they pull the brick out of the out of the briefcase. Like that's like maybe the best thing of the whole thing. Um, and then you know, and then uh, and then they they grab the money, and then they pose, and then Hogan is doing the Beefcake strut, and this thing goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes and i was thinking like if i am a f- if i'm a hogan fan more than i'm a wwf fan i just saw the main event and i'm ready to go home like mm-hmm. why why would you stay if you if you were a hogan fan they just gave you everything that you ever wanted from hogan in a match save for him winning the titles but if you pay if you if you paid for hogan your night is done like why do you stay yeah, just to watch the whole show. But I, you're right. I think, I think the match is the match was, I, This is so weird. I think they figure like, well, we're gonna give them the happy ending at the end. Yeah, right? yeah. So we can do this. They're gonna be disappointed now, but later on they're gonna they're gonna blow. But like, it just ah, it's such a frustrating match and frustrating finish. And um, they could have done so much better. I think. And, uh, it's disappointing, but I do want to say regarding Hogan and Brett and all that stuff. I think Vince did have a plan. It didn't come through because Hogan eventually didn't lose to Bret Hart at SummerSlam. So I think like at least Vin- at least Vince should get credit for you know. I think he's in the long run. He saw you know taking the belt off Brett here, but making him a bigger star by beating you know. You know the the last big star of the WWF and Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam to really cement Bret Hart as his guy, but unfortunately, Hogan had other plans and you know didn't want to lose to Bret Hart, so he lost to Yoko later on. But oh. so uh, Natalie Cole is in the crowd, and Pettengill is basically trying to uh, Pettengill's like, "Hey, Natalie Cole." did you get any of that money? Like, that money was real. She's like, yeah, it looked real. And I'm thinking, like, like Natalie Cole is rich and famous. Like, like what is she going to be care about, you know, uh, a bunch of 20s that are being thrown in the crowd? But uh, Pettengill was trying to put over the fact that that was real money. And Natalie Cole was like, okay, guy, like, fine. I'm just here to watch the show. And so uh, the next match is Mr. Perfect and the Narcissus Lex Luger. Perfect is tongue-tied in his interview and he calls him the narcissist Nex Luger and he didn't finish the thing but he couldn't actually say narcissist Lex Luger he said narcissist Nex like two or three different times he just got tongue-tied in the interview it was kind of funny so 
Lex comes out, and uh, there are a bunch of women in bikinis, and that are coming out with him. And they, you know, they're going to hold the mirrors, and the mirrors like have like f- like uh, fire shooting out of them. And uh, but like I was so surprised because these women are all wearing thong bikinis now. You know, they, they were not, uh, they didn't necessarily have the badonka donk as, as you would think that someone would have wearing a thong bikini. They were slim women, but still, I was so surprised to see, like, you know, thong bikinis on a WWE show in 1993. Um, what did you think about this match? Because, uh, you know, Mr. Perfect is pretty hot. He, he sends Ric Flair back to WCW. They're building him up. But also, this is Lex Luger's first match on uh on a big stage for wwe he's had some house show matches he's had some uh tv matches but this is his first like pay-per-view match for wwf yeah i thought it was a lot better than i remember it you know i thought that both did really well i think uh, both played to their strengths um it was just uh it was you know it was typical mr perfect you know bay face work and hoke and luger's Typical heel work, and then they just meshed together. I thought it was a really good match, actually. I thought it was it was pretty good. I liked the finish. I thought it was finished was pretty cool, and I liked the they're built, they're doing a really good job building up to the why Lex Luger is knocking out these guys. I thought the only thing I thought Perfect got up too fast from the knockout, like I thought it was too quick. I think they're running short on time on this pay per view, by the way. I think something was going on because you would see. Uh, kind of forget the agent's name but he was out there like towards the end and basically getting them in and out of the ring uh, but um but yeah I, I thought the match was, was was pretty good luger looked good um i thought perfect looked really good you know he did all his traditional stuff and say so saying luger and i like the like the whole thing when it came to uh perfect going backstage looking for luger sees luger talking to Shawn michaels they start, you know, he starts, he, he hits Luger, but then Shawn Michaels starts beating up Perfect to set up their program. I thought that was a nice little transition, and it felt it felt different. It, it, it didn't feel just so standard. It felt like something like, oh, man, this is something that we're not supposed to see, you know? Yeah, it, it was yeah. really cool. What was the thing where um, they, I think they said that Luger hit Bret Hart before the match or something? Yeah, they actually show it. They don't show it on this pay-per-view, which I think would think is stupid, but they do show it. I've ever seen that footage on Superstars, or maybe we'll see it on Raw coming up in the next few weeks. But yeah, I mean, it it was definitely a fake out. Like it definitely, because I don't think Hogan goes on the road as much. So this is like a it's like Luke Bret Hart's program on the house show after uh, WrestleMania. So, but. Yeah, to me, it's almost like a fake out. If you're like a hardcore fan, like, oh, that's you know, Brett's gonna beat Yoko and Luger. That's Luger's a new challenger, right? Yeah, yeah. So, because uh, I think Yoko actually does more stuff with Hacksaw, right? Like after, like he doesn't he go on the road with Hacksaw again? I believe so. Yeah, then Brett works Luger. So the only thing I didn't like about the the brawl is that you're in luxurious Las Vegas at Caesar's Palace. And they end up brawling in what looks like a shed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was cool. Though. I, I, I did like. I like how the camera followed him, and then they saw him in the back, and did, uh, that was that was pretty neat. So the uh, second to last match 
is The Undertaker against Giant Gonzalez, and this match was not very good. But I, I, I it feel wasn't that bad. Uh, I feel like this should actually count as a lot. Like Giant Gonzalez really beat The Undertaker for his first loss at WrestleMania. Like, what did Undertaker do in this match that made him come out like the winner? Like, he just like. I don't know. It was, thought... it was all built to the, him knocking him off his feet at yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I thought this match was a lot better than I remember. Like, I thought it was like the worst. And it wasn't the best, obviously. It's not something I'll probably rewatch again. But, like, all in all, I thought Giant Gonzalez didn't. That thought he did a pretty good job, you know? And I didn't think it was that bad, actually. I thought I thought it was definitely well well planned out you know it's the best they could with giant Gonzalez, who's very limited of course so we talked last week about that march wrestlemania show and we talked about the the uh the yoko and randy savage stuff a little bit but um taker had a match with bam bam bigelow did you get a chance to see that no i didn't watch that yeah i didn't i, I didn't watch it either but um i was reading through the observer and the observer said that it was actually a pretty good match, so I was like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should try to watch it. I don't doubt that because you know, Bam Bam's fantastic, and Undertaker's you know really good too. But you know, I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I, I think, I think John Gonzalez and Undertaker wasn't that bad. I thought, I thought they did, you know, even the cl- even the chloroform or whatever. Well, yeah, the chloroform's stupid. I'm just saying, like in general, like I'm, I'm mostly focusing on John Gonzalez because he's so limited and. And I just think they they did they, they play to his strengths and you know yeah I could tell I could see Undertaker telling under, you know Chinese off what to do <laughs> you know I could just tell but uh, um, but I thought I thought things looked good I think uh, you know but that, that was I was that was actually pleasant surprise of going back and watching it now I think the SummerSlam match is pretty shit but but maybe I'll watch it again and I will like it but. Like I said, I wasn't. I I remember like when it came like the they came out. I'm like, oh god, here we go. But I watched it. I was like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Taker walks out on his own, so he does wake up from from being knocked out, and uh, he lives to fight another day. And so then we kick to Mean Gene, who calls mm-hmm. who calls uh, Jim Ross. He calls him Jimmy Ross. I like that. And uh, Hogan comes out, and Gene and Hogan do their dance. And he bas- Hogan basically comes out to say that he's on Brett's side, that Brett is a Hulkamaniac, and then says that no matter what happens, he is going to challenge the winner of the match, and then calls Yokozuna a Jap, which is a very racist thing thing to say even in 1993 uh and i wonder i don't i i can't imagine that he was supposed to say that i i or maybe he was but like as like the number one baby face in the company i don't think you're supposed to say it because they had just gone through that whole situation with jim duggan right and Mm -hmm. and uh, they were getting in trouble for all the negativity around you know the asian stereotypes and so you would think that that would not be in the cards for Hogan to use, but he does anyways. And all it, uh, this whole interview, like obviously we, we know in hindsight what's going to happen, but Hogan is literally basically telling us that he's going to get involved somehow. And, uh, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a it was a it was your normal Hogan stuff. He's flexing, he's posing. It's cool to see him with Mean Gene again, but uh, he comes off a little bit as a blowhard, especially if you're a Bret Hart fan and you kind of want Bret to be the guy. But uh, but yeah, it was Hogan, and uh, and that leads us to the main event, which. I really liked. I don't remember this match being as good as it was. Brett against Yoko, big man versus little man. Just Brett was doing a lot of really uh, cool. Uh, there was a lot of cool moments where Brett was like really dictating. You know, a lot of a lot of things where I was like, wow, I didn't remember this part. This was a really smart part of this match. And uh, I, I think the thing that I didn't like about it was I thought it was too short. Like like you said, they may have been running out of time. I would have liked to see this match be a little bit longer. And uh, and and for for them to to do a, a few more things, but overall, I I really like this match. I don't remember it being as good as it was. I th- I think they were just a, I think they ran out of time, and that's why this match was only like nine minutes long. Um, yeah, that was, was really good. I liked this match a lot. I thought it was smart. I liked the stuff with uh, Yoko getting his leg locked in the ropes and stuff, and and Bret Hart taking advantage of that. I like how he, you know, he got into the sharpshooter. You know, he's not, he's, you know, Yoku with those big legs, you're going to put him in there and spin him around. So you have to be, you know, how could he be in position to where he'd be face down so I can lock on the shark here. I thought that was really cool. And, and, um, yeah, that was great. I thought the Yoko looked fantastic. All the stuff looked good. His timing's great. Um, yeah, I definitely want to see more. I would love to see more matches between this guy. I wish they had a longer program. Okay, my one qualm, my one issue is that Brett is setting up um, the sharpshooter. Actually, puts locks in the sharpshooter. Mr. Fuji throws salt in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Brett basically takes the bump from the salt. Yokozuna should have leg-dropped him or should have did something else, a big splash or something. He should not have pinned Bret Hart just from salt being in his eyes. Yes, and I don't, I'm trying to remember, was Brett, like, was Brett, yeah, I, I agree, it should have been, like, a leg drop. Or yeah, just a quick leg drop and done. But it was, like, I don't remember Brett was, like, really fighting it. Like, he was just laying there getting pinned, right? Yes, exactly. He didn't, yeah. like, he, he yeah. wasn't, like, screaming in pain, his eyes are burning and all that stuff. And, yeah, no, no that was that was definitely a, a, a miscalculation for sure. So then Hogan comes out. He's trying to tell the referee what happened that, you know, Mr. Fuji cheated and uh, he goes and he goes and, you know, he's checking up on Brett as he's checking up on Brett. Fuji gets on the mic and says that his Yokozuma challenges, (laughs) challenges Hulk Hogan to a uh, to a match and that if Hogan doesn't accept he's he's yellow and he's a coward and so Hogan has to first get the approval of Bret Hart. And Bret Hart, like a not very smart guy, goes, go ahead, get in the ring, go do your thing. And Hogan gets fired up, gets in the ring, immediately is grabbed by Yokozuna, and Fuji's about to throw the salt in his eyes again. Uh, or in his eyes this time. But Hogan moves out of the way. And Yokozuna takes salt in the eye. So, if this was a real match, that should have been some sort of like 
disqualification or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is sort of the fantasy of Hulkamania here. And the match starts. Uh, I, I forget. Did, how did Hogan get him to the ground? I don't remember how he got to the ground. Was it a clothesline? Okay, so it's a clothesline. And then, yeah, he didn't body slam him. And then, leg drop, pin, Hogan is a champ. So, when I am 16, I'm excited that Hogan won the match because he's the champion. But I'm also like, oh, man, he's going to get so much flack from the wrestling fans who say that he's just a blowhard. (laughs) Like, that was my immediate thought was, like, all the wrestling fans who, you know, who I... uh, I read in the magazines and who I read the negative feedback on Hogan about just because he's like, a, what is that? What did Jesse the body used to call him? Or Heenan used to call him the, what did they call him? Egomaniac, right? They call, used to call him the egomaniac. It's like, oh, his ego, he got in the way again. They're going to call him an egomaniac. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, but he's a champ. He's a champ again. So I was pretty happy, but also like, super defensive right away knowing that he was going to get a backlash of negative feedback i would have liked if they would have just had yoko beat Brehart, ended it with that and built up hogan to challenge for yoko down line at SummerSlam. well or king of the ring which was the next pay-per-view or king of the ring but i think i think he should hold it off you know i think there should be a little longer chase with Hogan, I don't know why they decided to. I mean, I know. Well, I do know why. I mean, you know, Vince went with Hogan when he knows and he felt he needed. And but I just think I think the chase would have been a more of a better drawing program than just Hogan winning it in like twenty nine seconds, wherever the hell it was. Yep. Yep. And you know, I just think that's they should, they should have done that. I don't know. I, I just it just all kind of happened all together, and just I think that's where Hogan kind of like lost of steam in a way like it did it didn't really seem like now you who do you have to challenge him you have yokozuna again you know you could build it but i think it i think hogan should have chased and then that, i think that would have been a better drawing program that you're you're probably right um but i can see because like you said vince mcmahon is doing what he knows which is babyface champion facing all comers of all these monster heels and that's was the hogan way right that was the Mm -hmm. program that's how you that's how that's how you built the business so um yeah no but i mean i i totally get it i totally get your point of view and uh this was yeah it was supposed to set up brett and hogan and uh, hogan was yet again the smartest man in the business manipulated vince into not into not dropping it to vince's hand-picked guy um but so, see, this is what happens when you give us an extra day. Like, we extended the show way past the time, but we had a lot of stuff to talk about, and, uh, and we'll, we'll come back next week and, and uh, get to the next Raw and get closer to the end of the road to WrestleMania and closer to the show, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get to talk a little bit more about some of the shows that we're going to WrestleMania weekend, like the Bloodsport show and TakeOver. We'll do a little bit more of a preview of TakeOver and the ROH New Japan show. And then, like I said, when we are in New York, we will hopefully be able to do some stuff as well and put out uh, some more content. So um, for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.